We are still in 2 Corinthians. We got started with 2 Corinthians chapters 8 and 9. And we, uh, it was mainly an overview in our last class. We really didn't get uh, deep into the study, but our goal is over the next three classes to, to go uh, more verse by verse and talk through some of this. Um, I encourage you to read through chapters 8 and 9 again. As far as what we're going to do uh, this morning, we're just going to look at uh, chapter 8, trying to get at least the, the first half of that taken care of. Um, but before we get started with our study, I've asked Gary to lead us in a word of prayer. Second Corinthians chapter 8, we talked a little bit about the context of what's going on here. Uh, there was a need among the uh, Jewish Christians in the Judean area. Uh, and so Paul um, encourages these, uh, these Christians in Corinth, as well as different areas, to participate in this relief effort, uh, to, and it's meant to take months and months of preparation, gathering so that one, one uh, deliverance of, of this support could be made. And yet, from the looks of it, there's, there's been some kind of halt on that work. Something has delayed it. They, they've sort of backed out of that. And, and Paul is encouraging them to, to pick it back up, to, to renew, rekindle uh, their, their eagerness and willingness to participate uh, in this collection. Uh, and so he spends chapters 8 and 9 talking about it. But let's just go ahead and read, uh, read chapter Eight, if I could have somebody read for us. Mm-hmm. 
So as we look at um, this section, um, Paul starts off in verse 1 um, telling the Corinthians how their eagerness to start this project had an impact on other people. 
Uh, specifically, he mentions uh, the churches of Macedonia. I'm not good at church geography, of, of Bible geography, and, no, and uh, where everything's located. But if you if you look at those churches, as you might see in the book of Acts, for example, there are what well, I found three main uh, places where believers are known to uh, to be there, and certain events that took place. Uh, first off, uh, Philippi. What do we know? What happened in Philippi? Philippian jailer. Okay, we have the Philippian jailer. Okay. We have Lydia. And if you look at those stories, Lydia is a very hospitable woman, one, one known to be generous. We talked a little bit um, about the idea of generosity in our last class. And, and then even, even the jailer himself, um, as, as an act of repentance of sorts, how he, how he treats uh, Paul and Silas uh, there. Um, we, we see Thessalonica as another one of, uh, one of the cities in Macedonia, and that's where there was some, uh, a little bit of heat rising there with Jason being dragged out of his home and being stoned, and yet they, they, were, they were zealous. They were eager, um, growing in the faith there. And thirdly, we see Berea uh, as, as a place where they were eager with the gospel in that they were searching the scriptures. And so you see that these, this region which historically was, was um, extremely impoverished. Uh, they, that region went through several wars and a lot of taxation at the time. Uh, yet they were eager to live out the gospel. You see, you see that that did not hold them back, and yet that they, um, they excelled in, in the gospel. And so it says in verse 2, in a great trial of affliction, we've talked about affliction in this book already, think back of chapter, chapter 1, and, uh, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded in the riches of their liber liberality. This word poverty right here means really bad off financially, very poor, and yet it adds deep poverty, extreme poverty. And yet you see what, what is lived out, abundance of joy, riches of their liberality. What, what else do you see in the heart of the Macedonians here? In this section, yeah, Tony. Well, it was more, more than just giving up their names, but that they wanted to go above and beyond. 
begging works the opposite, doesn't it? Begging for something from someone. Like if you are in poverty, you would be begging for them for for their wealth. In fact, they're begging to give of their poverty from their poverty to something. And that it's not just that from compulsion we talked about that last week, but that That's a good point, that idea of that they were, that they were begging to participate, to, to take part in this fellowship of this grace um, as, it, as it's described there. And so uh, whenever it talks about their, their abundance and their, their richness, it's not talking about dollars and cents. It's talking about uh, the work of God that they are participating in. Um, whenever you look at Romans chapter 12 and the various gifts that each one is given by, by the grace of God, it says the one who is, get, who is giving, that if that is their gift, it's not about them being lucrative. It's about them giving with liberality and them, them desiring to do that. Yes, Joshua. And verse 3 also described it as a sacrifice because they, they gave according to what they could give, but then some of them also gave beyond what they could give. So in today's analogy, on one hand, I could dip into my emergency fund and get out of that, or I could give beyond that lump sum and sacrifice something that I would have about my normal means and give it to that, that's a good point. Um, I believe Tony and Katrina have made this comment in a previous class before, but the, the idea goes of, you might have heard the expression, a, a, a sacrifice is giving until it hurts, but really thinking of it as giving until it doesn't hurt. That, that becomes second nature to you, that, that you're not thinking about, ooh, this really hurts, but rather, I want to give. It's just in my nature to be doing that. Before we get further down in this, I, I think it's worthwhile to just stop and think, the heart of Jesus as we acted out is, is, that, is one of generosity, but not just our bank accounts. Uh, um, at the homeschool convention, Heather and I went to the, uh, a month or so ago. There, there was one place there that talked about how to be generous with, um, with our money, with our time, with our belongings. 
being generous with our thoughts, thinking the best of other people, um, being generous with our words, and not, and not being selfish uh, with our words, our attention, our influence, just in everything, being generous. And, and, and we can recognize that each person may have their strengths, as far as some people may be able to, be, uh, to, to give more financially, or some people may be able to give more of their, of their time, but we're not necessarily called to say, you know what, I don't really want to be generous with my time, so maybe if I'm just extra generous with my money, that, that'll make up for it. Or, you know what, I don't really want to give up my money, I want to keep it for myself, so you know what, I'll just, I'll just be more generous with my, with my time, with my words, with my thoughts. And we're called to be generous with everything. And so, and so thinking as we go through this, yes, in the context we're, we're, we're talking primarily on a, on a financial level, but, but thinking of the generosity that we're called to have in, in everything. Yeah. What really strikes me about this is in verse 2 where he says, that in a great testing of affliction, their abundance of joy. So while they were being afflicted, they were so joyful. And it reminds me when we were little, my mom kept us so focused on God and His love and how His protection for us that we were so happy and joyful in Him that we didn't even realize we were poor. And so that, that's kind of the scene that I see here. They're so joyful, the affliction, they're having affliction, but their abundance of joy is spurring them on to be Christ-like. Absolutely. It's sort of, and we've, we talked about this even back in chapter 5, of the kind of mindset that we should have on a, on a spiritual level, not thinking of, of this existence according to the flesh, but looking, looking at the spiritual, eternal reality. Um, and one thing that we're going to see a little bit later is that Jesus personifies all of this. He, he personifies generosity in the midst of poverty. He, he personifies joy in the midst of affliction. That, that, that he, um, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. Um, interesting... What's something that stood out to me? I don't know necessarily what to make of this. If we look at um, in verse five, and not as we had hoped, but they first gave themselves to the Lord and to us by the will of God. I used to think, um, j just breaking it down. Um, language-wise and parts of speech-wise, that um, they gave themselves first. What did they give first? Themselves. To whom? To God. And then I just assumed then they gave money to us by the will of God. It doesn't say that they gave uh, money or financially, they gave themselves. Essentially, is, is perhaps how I, I would read that, that they are giving themselves. Um, 
in this. A, a big problem that Paul is that Paul is concerned about here with the Corinthian church, and we can see this outlined throughout throughout the book of 2 Corinthians so far, um, the Corinthians hadn't given themselves fully to God. And so what we saw, how that was manifested in chapter 6, was that they didn't open themselves up to Paul. They hadn't joined in him in in the ministry. And then you see another manifestation of that in that they're not participating in that. It's not just, hey, let's let's get this thing started up. If you look at the root of it, they they are drifting away from from Paul, no longer um, opening themselves up to him, but also they're not participating in the work of God. And so, uh, again, if you have any questions or thoughts, feel free to raise your hand if I don't, if I don't see you uh, in this. And so in, in verse 6, so we urge Titus that as he had begun, so he would also complete this grace in you as well. We talked about in our last class that this is also a major theme in this section. The idea of completing what we've started. The project that they had had started, they they had abandoned essentially. And he's telling he urges Titus, hey, we've started this or you've started this, Titus, see that you bring it to completion. And so this idea um, in verse 7, you abound in everything. And we saw that idea back in chapter 6, verse 10, that as having nothing yet possessing all things. Just as you abound in everything and are growing in everything, and he lists knowledge, faith, speech, all diligence and love, uh, your love for us or our love for you, um, that you abound in this as well. Um, one thing that, that sort of stood out to me, one comment, um, I'll just go ahead and open it up. I had some more time before I made that point. What else stands out to you in what, in what Paul is calling them to do? The, the attitude that Paul has, um, he's, he's calling them to, to rekindle this and make sure that they abound in this project. That it's not just uh, doing it because they have to, but because they want to uh, do this. Having that changed heart that we mentioned in our last class. Uh, in verse 8, he says, I speak not by commandment, but I'm testing the sincerity of your love by the diligence of others. Uh, it's important to see in there, in verse 8, the sincerity of your love. It's not just I'm testing your love, but rather the sincerity 
of your love. That idea of um, worldly love is often insincere, is, is often self-seeking. Uh, we talked about what that love uh, looks like in 1 Corinthians 13, but, but true love is sincere. Jesse and then Tom. That, that's a good point. I had some thoughts on that, but I'll, I think Tony will cover it all. That's a good point. Um, so, one thing that that somebody had pointed out that really stuck with me is um, Paul says, "I'm testing the sincerity of your love." What's the point of a test? As a teacher, I can tell you the point of a test is not to bring grades down. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but, but rather, a, a test is proving, it's a proving with the expectation that there's going to be a positive outcome. That, that, that there's going to, that you're wanting the student 
to succeed. You're wanting them to uh, to do. It's not necessarily a trap or a gotcha. Or, ha ha! I know that I know that you didn't study or anything like that. It's it's actually um, with that hopeful expectation of that. And then to to Tony's point that he just made um, in verse nine, what's the answer key to that test? It's Jesus. Like that, that's that's the model answer. Okay, if you if you want to if you want to pass that test, look of, look at Jesus and imitate that. So was it just this past week the week before we were watching the Bible project video and it was talking about testing and it gives like an example of like a doorway. So through one door, um it's the better things, and through another doorway it's the worst thing. And so you have there in the garden not that like like, uh, like that he wants them to fail but actually it's the way he used it it was an opportunity and they continue to use that, that term throughout that and I thought that was it was so impactful for us because there's been a lot of things that have come up over the past couple of weeks and we've been like instead of like seeing this as like oh this man I didn't do it like this is an opportunity for me to continue to trust God this is not opportunity for me to do what's right. This is not opportunity for me to change what I'm doing. And as opposed to going the path of the deceiver, the one who wants us to fail, who wants us to uh, to succumb, that God He's putting tests in front of us for an opportunity for us to prevail, to excel. He just told the Corinthians here to excel in these things. That it's actually this test is so that we can prove. What God has been instilling in you is actually there in the family. Very good. Yeah, that's that's the point I was thinking too. A test is to see what is existing, what is there. Whether you're testing your soil, or you're testing, you know, your your strength after we have, or we're testing our faith. And these Macedonians, uh, in their test of affliction, they had the gratitude to God first and foremost. Their faith was right there with the Lord, and that's what overflowed and resulted in this giving of themselves in all these ways. In chapter 9, he says to the Corinthians, You will be enriched in every way, be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. And then he the, the ministry of the service is not just supplying the needs of the saints, but also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. And that's why, regardless of Status, if your faith is truly in God, that results automatically in thanksgiving to Him. Gratitude is what we want to call it. And that means you don't even think about if it's going to hurt you. Is it? Very good. I love the way my version reads. It says, I'm not speaking this as a command, but as proven through the earnestness of others, the sincerity of your love also. So I, I don't think it's a testing as we're thinking of testing. I think Paul is saying, I'm proving that your sincerity towards others is just as strong as I've been boasting about you. It's just as strong as ours. Because you you got this. You understand. And you're proving that you're just as sincere in your walk with God as we as apostles are. Good point. Yes, Jesse. 
really glad I asked the question because test has always taken on a negative connotation in my mind, you know, the old testing. And it, it makes me think of, of James when he talks about going through various trials. You know, we look forward to the benefit from going through those things, but even the impact of the test is one of what is there, you know, and how I would. And I, I would also, for me personally, when I think of trials, I think there's a difference between trial and testing or proving. I think the testing is a portion of that trial. And so maybe, yeah, I don't like <laughs> going through tough times, but I do like the testing. I should like the testing because that's kind of an inventory of what your capabilities are and how to improve on that. So I, I appreciate the answers. And that, that's a good point. It, in Spanish, the, one of the words for test is also the word for proof. And so, uh, and, and the proof of the right kind of heart. We, we could say that. Yes? I was just reading where uh, the actual word there for test uh, is often used in reference to define how much of an ore is like pure silver, pure gold, or pure copper. It's a test. Same word that's used in. First Corinthians 3, verse 13, uh, where that says, the, uh, Each one's work will become manifest, and the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. And, and so, uh, from a, um, finding out how much is in the metal uh, type of standpoint, uh, this is a uh, determination of how much oil. Whenever we, whenever we look at uh, what this, what the point is making, I, I appreciate how he uh, transitions to what you know in verse nine. As we're going to look at uh, that, what that grace of our Lord Jesus Christ looks like. Katrina and Josh. Um, a silver a silversmith uh, tests or refines the silver. I mean, as it's done, we see this reflection. And so, if we apply that, we are proven, we are refined, we are tested until we have a perfect reflection of our Father. And, and do we? Do we view our generosity in those terms? Or do we view our generosity as generous? That's just what I'm calling to do. But uh, <coughs> having that heart. Okay. That's Josh. Yeah, this idea of testing and proving, sending my mind in a bunch of different directions. Like if, if I'm a programmer and I'm writing a program, I don't just publish it, I test it to make sure that the program is working as it should. If I, if I manufacture a part, I send it through a battery of testing to make sure that it is doing what it's supposed to do. But at the same time, the benefit of this test, I don't think, is even the fault. The benefit 
this, this whole discussion of poverty and um, generosity, I, I think that's it's hard for me to wrap my head around. It's hard probably for a lot of people in this rich nation to wrap their heads around because we have a lot. And it's making me think, well, if, if financial poverty, economic poverty is so good, should I really have all the stuff that I do? Right? There's a lot of stuff that I can do with my wealth. Um, but at the same time, wealth can get in the way of seeing our reliance on God across the board for things. A very good point. It's, and it's so easy for us to stop being self-reflective and actually... Do we take things for granted, or do we, do we stop continually, not just once in a while, but continuously examining, testing our, ourselves, whether we're in faith? I guess to sum it up for me, in verse 2, they were being tested by affliction, and in verse 9, they were being proven by the outcome. Very good. That theme that we see, tent and these. I guess my question goes more towards the uh, reason for the test. I, if I'm reading it right, maybe this is the question, is that in verse 1 it talks about the grace of God and bestowed on past decades. And that um, the grace, uh, is it that, is this, is this what's happening? Is God's grace being worked through the people, through the Macedonians? Titus through uh, through the Corinthians in this case are being tested and uh, and then the example of that is Christ's grace that's so uh, is God giving the responsibility of carrying out his grace through the people that's the question that's a good question so hopefully I can Phrase that is the what what is the purpose behind the test? What is the what's the expected outcome? Um, what, what is what's God's purpose in working out his grace, not only among Macedonians, but also in Titus and the Corinthians? Uh, and, and we see that the glory of God continues to be multiplied um, in uh, as he continues to bring back that. Go ahead, Lisa. Yeah. Well, um, it was making me think of the letters that John wrote to the church <coughs> Revelation at Jesus' request. Uh, Jesus told these churches individually that he knew what they were known for or what they thought of themselves, but he knew he had praise for them or he had things against them. He warned Smyrna that they would about, they were about to suffer and to hang true, to not give up. He was encouraging them. So, not necessarily trials from him, but that he knew they would endure. I'm thinking of Job, um, that, you know, God knew Job and his faithfulness and his righteousness, but he allowed Satan to afflict him greatly. Um, he knew, he knew Job's faithfulness would come through, but it was a, it was a long journey. Facebook all week of a little girl who was battling and we 
get into that perhaps more in chapter 9. The, the point of, um, ooh, if I'm generous, then I'll get more money. I don't think is necessarily the, the point, but, but 
uh, the, the point both in Matthew as well as in 2 Corinthians is uh, those who are good, generous stewards are going to be given more opportunities to be uh, good, generous stewards of that. Yes, Katrina. Um, so when we entered into a relationship with Christ, we um, set everything we had down and pick up what he gave us. And so every dollar in my bank account is his because he gave it to me. And the same thing for everybody else that has chosen to be his. So I'm not given what I have. I'm given what he's given me. And he promises to take care of me. So that alleviates the need for me to be concerned about it. So what John was talking about in Matthew, if he's given me an amount and I go and share it with everybody, why would he not give me more to go share it with more people? And if he gave me some and I just hold it for myself and I don't invest it in the things he's invested in, why would he give me more? He would take it so that somebody else can invest it. And we do that all the time with, with financial investments. I think that's the same principle. When we realize that we're just tapping into the source, it's easier to give and it's, it comes more abundantly. That's, that's, a, that's a good point uh, of, of viewing that passage, I think. Um, let's look now at... Um, Getting into verse 9, you know the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that you, through his poverty, might become rich. Um, Looking at this in terms of um, Jesus, no one richer. And we're not talking about like he has street of gold in heaven that kind of that kind of richness but rather being one with god receiving the glory in heaven um, free from flaws and difficulties going from that to being the epitome of poverty uh, not just being low socioeconomically um, but being separated from God, taking on flesh in its weakness. And we, we've already made allusions to Philippians 2, verses 6 and 7, also Hebrews 4 and verse 15, how we have that high priest who sympathizes with us because he, uh, he came in weakness. Uh, and so, um, Emphasis in verse 9, I, I see there, in, um, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus. The people who give, like the Macedonians, truly understand the grace of God. Truly understand uh, the heart with which um, one ought to give. Um, and yet, what we see in verse 10, in this I give advice, it is for your advantage not, not to be... Not only to be doing what you began and were desiring to do a year ago, but now you also must complete the doing uh, that, a red, uh, that there was a readiness to desire it so that there also may be a completion of what you have done. I want you to think of the story of Haggai and what happened after the return from captivity. There was a desire to reestablish the temple of God, and yet they backed out of it anywhere from 15 to 18 years. That project 
for the glory of God, they had backed out of. And, and God's people in Corinth are, are at risk of repeating the same mistake. And, and, um, and Haggai calls them to, to repent, to come back and, lo- and show their love, uh, love to God. Uh, and so uh, he's, he's giving his advice uh, in verse 10. Um, he wants them to do the right thing. And of course, there is a right thing to do. And yet, and yet he's giving his advice is what he says in verse 8. It's not by commandment. He, there's the right thing to do, but twisting their arm to do it is not really going to get the right answer. It's not going to bear the fruit that God wants for them, that Paul is, is, is seeking in them. He wants them to do, it, uh, do the right thing for the right reason. Um, we didn't quite get as far as I had hoped, um, and so I want us to, in our next class, finish chapter 8 and get into chapter 9 as well. So we may go at a little bit of a quick tick, uh, in our next class, but just be ready, uh, ready to go. Uh, finish chapter eight and start getting into chapter nine. Thank you so much for your participation.